This is AgriPulse Open Mic, brought to you by the Corn Farmers Coalition. Each year, the nation's farmers continue to amaze with their productive capacity, even in the face of natural disaster. In 2012, farmers grew the eighth largest corn crop in history, despite the worst drought since 1936. Their commitment to the land and growing safe, abundant, and affordable food is an American success story. It is also noteworthy that 95% of this production comes from family farms. To learn more about how productivity and sustainability go hand in hand, go to cornfarmerscoalition.org. And now, AgriPulse Open Mic. Dr. Rob Fraley, welcome to AgriPulse Open Mic. Thanks. Uh, great to be on the line with you, Ken. I want to congratulate you, first of all, for the announcement just recently that you were a winner of the World Food Prize. I would think, from your perspective, after your relationship with Dr. Borlaug and after the many years that you've put in to develop biotechnology and plants, that uh, there has to be some satisfaction in receiving this. Well, I'd say there was a lot of emotion. I, the first uh, response, though, with the after the the call with uh, Ambassador Quinn was uh, uh, I was just I was just really surprised and shocked. So it really caught me off guard. I knew a lot of the and know a lot of the uh, the past winners, the past laureates, and with uh, Norm Borlaug that you know began many 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 years ago when we uh, worked together to uh, to start uh, an organization that was focused on uh, applying uh, technologies to developing countries and. That continued through the years, and we shared lots of uh, podiums and meetings together. And you know, I uh, I visited Norm uh, just before he uh, passed away at his home in uh, in uh, outside of Dallas. And uh, so you know, he was so deeply associated with this uh, the the World Food Prize that uh, that that makes it really special to me personally. In my observations of Dr. Borlaug through the years. I always noted that he was doing whatever he could to improve plant breeding. And he never hesitated to endorse biotechnology as a means to accomplish his goals. Um, some people now tend to indicate that this is not the intent, but Dr. Borlaug seemed to me to be very pro-biotech. As I said, I know Norm, knew Norm well, uh, and I feel like I still know Norm, uh, he was a, a big advocate of biotechnology, and uh, they didn't feel they needed, uh, you know, foreign seed or uh, or somebody telling them how to do something better. Uh, so it wasn't easy, and he faced obstacles and challenges, you know, probably not unlike what we see in biotech today. And uh, you know, as you know, Norm Norm was uh, was a a very strong advocate and. Uh, you know, he pushed and made it happen, and, uh, you know, I, uh, I admire that because it wasn't easy for him. Well, let's turn to your career a bit. Um, you have, I'm sure, had times that you were told uh, by many, and not just for commercial reasons, that they did not think that the biotechnology uh, pathway that you were following with Monsanto was what uh, they would recommend uh, so you've also, I would think, had to fend off those people who uh, 
didn't believe in what you believed in? Well, you know, I think at a, at a couple levels. First of all, I, uh, you know, I have uh, I have great admiration for Monsanto as a company because they, uh, you know, they saw this opportunity, you know, starting in the in the late '70s, and you know, invested heavily in this new science. And you know, Ken, that uh, you know the first biotech products didn't reach the marketplace until you know '96 and '97. So that was you know in some you know almost 20 years of uh, of investment before the first products were launched. So I give the company a lot of credit for that. Uh, and then I think you know in terms of the uh, you know stepping back, uh, if you would have told me in 90, 1981 when I joined the company that you know you and I'd be talking here today and. I'd be considered uh, as a laureate to the food prize, but more broadly that biotech crops would be, uh, you know, planted in almost 30 countries around the world. And, you know, we'd have tens of millions of farmers using this technology and most of those outside the United States. You know, I never would have believed it. Um, at the same time, if you would have told me we would have had some of the, the criticism we've seen today, you know, it's... Uh, it's uh, it's also you know there's been some challenges, but I think the you know the benefits and the uh, the fast adoption of this technology speak to the value that it brings farmers around the world. Is there a parallel here in governments opposing it and farmers wanting it, just like it was when Dr. Borlaug was moving some of his seeds from one area of the world to another? Norman, I've had that exact discussion and. Uh, you know, he talks specifically about the difficulties and the challenges of bringing something new in, you know, to, uh, you know, an established uh, area, and there's always resistance and opposition. I, and I think that's really one of the reasons he was uh, so adamant about support for biotech and really all the new technologies, because you have to remember what, what drove Norm was the realization that the demand for food was going to continue to increase. And, you know, when we do our math and you add, you know, the two or three billion new people that will be on the planet, uh, the fact that, uh, that wealth around the world is increasing, especially in Asia and Africa, and their demand for food will increase. You know, the simple math is over the next 30 or 40 years, the world will need to double food production once again. And, and that's why it's so important that we have access to the new tools and technologies. Because in the end, people are going to eat. And we'll, we'll have the choice as a society to either, you know, take the lands that are being farmed today and farm them for both higher productivity and higher sustainability, or we'll make the choice to simply farm more land, and that's going to put more pressure on the on the forests and the wetlands. And I don't think any of us want to see that happen. And so uh, that's why getting the uh, the conversation around the importance of new technology in agriculture is so critical. And that's one of the things that I see as one of the important aspects of the World Food Prize and the platform that it represents. I mean, I really look forward to, you know, coming to Des Moines in October and having that week-long dialogue around what we can do better, what else we need to do, and how we reach that important middle ground. Because I think it's really critical, you know, to, to recognize that there are loud voices 
on either end of this discussion. I mean, the critics who, who don't like it and probably never will, and the advocates who are already convinced and always will be, the important is that big middle ground to understand, you know, the relationship between food security, nutrition, and ending hunger, and the importance that improving agriculture to meet those needs represents. Dr. Fraley, I want to turn to the recent event that had some biotech wheat that was Monsanto's show up in a field in Oregon and ask you from the technical aspect of it, how would it be possible years after you shut that program down for that wheat to grow and for that farmer to find it the way that he did? Well, we've, uh, we've been spending uh, a lot of time on that uh, in our own uh, work uh, and analysis, and uh, we've been closely uh, cooperating with the, uh, the, uh, the USDA as they do their, uh, their independent investigation. Uh, you know, first thing, from a technical perspective, I'm, uh, I am really, I, I, I would say I am, I am really pleased to see how the, the interaction between the government private industry and the universities have, uh, have enabled uh, so much information to be generated so quickly. So just to, to give you a sense of that, uh, you know, our testing, testing from Washington State, testing from the USDA have basically determined that none of the commercial seed varieties show any presence of a, a glyphosate tolerance event. Uh, we know that uh, grain samples that have been carried out also show no presence of the uh, of the event. Uh, the USDA has uh, has interviewed the uh, the grower. They've taken samples of seed from the grower and samples of his grain. All of those are clean of the event. Uh, all the fact patterns to date uh, uh, point to. Uh, absolutely no contamination of seed or grain and indicate that, you know, something, you know, really unusual must have happened in that, uh, you know, field in Oregon, and, and that's, uh, that's where we're uh, focusing our attention and energy today. In looking at the reaction to this, though, even though USDA had approved that uh, event to be safe for human consumption back uh, in 2005 or 2006, we immediately got a very adverse reaction from Asian countries over the prospect of any GMO wheat. Uh, let me just correct you one sentence there, Ken. It wasn't the USDA that approved the safety. It was the FDA, and we'd actually uh, submitted a, uh, a regulatory package, and that's, that's a very important point because the, uh, the FDA has, uh, has established the safety of the product. You know, there was surprise and, and there was some, re some reaction, but I, I think, Ted, it's fair to say there was also a lot of uh, misinformation, miscommunication, and uh, uh, re regarding that, you know, I, I would summarize it this way. Uh, to date, uh, there's been, you know, no shipments of grain rejected. There's been, uh, there's been no, no stoppage of, uh, of boats or anything like that. Uh, countries have uh, have expressed an interest to be able to test. One of the very first things that we did, and you know, I talked about it in a, uh, a press conference a, uh, a few weeks ago, is we provided an event-specific assay 
to detect that specific CP4 event to wheat to the uh, to the uh, uh, U.S. Uh, government as well as to all the international regulatory uh, uh, agencies of the uh, of the international uh, grain market countries, and those are now being ratified and uh, and put in place. I have to emphasize that it's really important to use event-specific assays because, as you well know, that Roundup-ready gene that is the subject of the investigation in wheat is the very same gene that's present in soybean and corn and cotton and canola and other crops. And so it's really, really easy you know, when you think about, you know, farmers' harvest and, you know, transportation and shipping of grain and, you know, the, the boats that are in transport uh, have one container of wheat and the next container is going to be corn or soybeans, all it takes is, you know, a few pieces of grain or a, or a little bit of grain dust to give false positives if uh, if the exact right tests aren't being used. So we, we focused our energy on providing those tests and, uh, and getting them validated so that uh, governments can feel comfortable in the security of the uh, grain supply. As I said, all the testing to date indicates that uh, there's no contamination in seed, no contamination of grain, and the issue seems to, to focus on that uh, uh, single farm in Oregon. Dr. Fairley, I would uh, only have one more question or observation, and that is it appears that you, somewhat like Dr. Borlaug, will never say that your work is finished. It will continue on, and it appears with the fire in your voice, uh, you're as engaged as you've ever been. Well, I tell you, I, uh, I think about it this way. The, uh, I, uh, I, sp- I spend very little time thinking about the past, and the- this week with the... Uh, with the uh, recognition of being a laureate of the World Food Prize, I, I probably reflected, you know, backwards more than I ever have in, in, in my life. And, you know, I am really excited about the, the progress that biotechnology has made uh, to date. And, you know, we talked about the phenomenal adoption both internationally and in the U.S. and how it's really provided, uh, you know, such significant benefit to farmers. But to your point, Ken, what, what really excites me is, you know, we've still got a challenge to meet. But, but more importantly, I mean, you know, this same week, you know, we got approval for a brand-new product for soybean for South America, and we got the full international approval for drought-guard corn. That all happened this week, and that just shows that, the, you know, the opportunity for biotechnology products to continue to drive innovation is, is high, and I'm excited about that. The other thing that excites me, and, and a lot of people don't appreciate, is that these basic biotechnology methods, you know, gene sequencing, the use of markers, are now being applied to breeding you know, more efficiently and creating new combinations of genetics that was really never possible to do before. So right now we're seeing these tools literally change how breeders breed corn and soybean and cotton, and that's really exciting. And, you know, so we've seen all these advances in biology, and now what's going on both in the U.S. and around the world is, you know, computer technology, you know, data 
management of that farm and the ability to uh, you know to uh, to think about agriculture not at a farm or a field level, but how do you optimize yields on the uh, on the uh, area of land the size of your living room uh, is really opening up the door to uh, you know bringing uh, you know biology and computer science together and and so I'm really excited we got a lot of work to do and uh, you know we're going to continue on our uh, march to uh, increasing crop yields around the world Dr. Rob Fraley thank you very much for being our guest on AgriPulse Open Mic thank you AgriPulse Open Mic has been brought to you by the Corn Farmers Coalition Learn more about how productivity and sustainability go hand in hand. Go to cornfarmerscoalition.org. I'm Ken Root.